Thanks for listening to The Chapel Podcast. At The Chapel Church, our passion is to share the hope of Jesus to individuals, the community, and the world. Listen in as Pastor Brandon Joyner shares an encouraging and challenging message from God's Word. When I was 14 years old, it was the first time I was old enough to be able to actually go out and get my first real uh, job. I always did some things around the house, and it was always interesting because I tried to have a conversation with my dad a couple of different times about an allowance. And I'm not saying that if you give an allowance to your kids that that's wrong or right or whatever. I'm just saying this is how it was in my household. I said, Dad, you know, can I get an allowance? I do things around the house. He said, yeah, Brandon, you're eating food, aren't you? Aren't you sleeping in the bed? That's your allowance. And so my first job outside of the home, uh, more or less, was... uh, at Woden's Nursery. It was a flower nursery. I didn't know much about flowers. I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't know anything about flowers, but it was a job that a 14-year-old kid could get. I personally didn't want to work in fast food because I love being outside, and so I interviewed, and praise the Lord, I was hired. And so my role in, in, in taking care of that was to water the flowers, to, to move some mulch around every once in a while, nothing difficult. Uh, but that was the first time that I realized the tension that can exist between a boss and an employee. See, Wounds Nursery was founded about over 40 years ago by a couple. The couple at that particular time was elderly. Uh, the gentleman wasn't able to walk real well, and, and their health wasn't great. And uh, they were not always in the best of moods. I'm going to be honest with you, most of the time, they weren't in the best of moods. Uh, So they still ran the company, but it was in this transition process of turning it over to their son, Henry. Henry was a kind, sweet, and patient man. And so I was young, I was learning, I was always eager to work, and I worked hard. Uh, But they didn't always take the time to train me about the difference between a flower and a weed. So it wasn't always my fault. And so one particular day, uh, the boss was looking for something for me to do. Do, the older gentleman, and so he told me to weed the flowers around his house. And so I went outside and I did that. I didn't know that a baby strawberry was what it looked like. I thought it was a weed. And so I went outside and I pulled up all of his weeds and he came outside and he laid into me, not using Christian words, I'll just put it that way. And I looked at him and I was like, I- I'm really sorry. I-, I thought these were weeds. And there was another particular occasion you thought they would have learned their lesson where they told me to plant the, uh, to pull the weeds around their house. And so I did. I did not realize that one of the flowers that was there was a, uh, as it was growing, was an actual flower. And so I pulled it. I thought it was a weed. It looked like a weed. And I didn't realize that that was the flower that the owner's mom planted before she passed away. I had no idea. Um, And so, you know, sure enough, I never got fired from the job because I think they realized this is a young kid, not very smart, but he's learning, but he's a hard worker. And so I continued to work there as long as I possibly could until I got to a point where like, listen, this just isn't, this isn't working out. And before I just completely run them out of business, I went and I found another job and I started laying hardwood floors and I did that for for a summer or two throughout high school. But I sell that to say this, God taught me many valuable lessons in that first real job. Taught me many valuable lessons about hard work, but some of the, probably some of the biggest lessons was how can I, as a young person, as an employee, interact with my boss, the employer? Uh, Now, as you get older, you have a lot more options. When you're 14, 15 years old, your pool of finding a job is very limited because you have no life skills to offer to anyone. And so usually changing trash is about as far as you're going to get, and that's great. 
But as you get older and especially you have more advanced degrees, you have options to be able to choose of where to work. And as we come into the tail end of 2022 going into 2023, it presents a perfect time for many people to look back at the past year and evaluate as some of the accomplishments that they were able to do and also see, okay, how can life be better? Some people look at their diet. I need to change my diet going into 2023. I need to change my financial situation going into 2023. But majority of people, a lot of people look at their jobs and they say, I need to make a change because what I am doing is not fulfilling or as what one report makes, uh, most people are frustrated with their boss at their job. They're frustrated. I've worked hard for my boss, and it just doesn't seem like they appreciate me. And so they are looking for other opportunities. And I got it. When you're working anywhere, a Christian job at a church or anywhere, there is potential for there to be tension because wherever there's human relationships, they're imperfect and there will be tension. But the question for us here this morning is this, is it possible to work a job that you love? And if some of you say, of course, I'm doing it right now. Another question is, is it possible to work at the job that you will love and enjoy the people that you work for and that you work with? And the answer to that question is yes as well. And the Apostle Paul tells us this in Ephesians chapter 6. So take your Bibles with me this morning as we kind of round out the end of our series of Ephesians. We have this week... We'll take a break next week. We'll talk about some different things regarding Christmas with the Christmas uh, program that we're doing. And then we're going to close it out two weeks from now as we look, come to the end of Ephesians, uh, the whole study there. But Ephesians chapter 6, this morning we're going to see the final session when it comes to Paul's discussion on human relationships. Beginning in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, and carrying really through Ephesians chapter 6, verse 9, the Apostle Paul lays out the basic principles of what we would refer to and understand as being the three most common relationships when it comes to human relationships. He lays out uh, the, the, the tension and really the address of the instructions within the marriage relationship. He talks about the parent and child uh, relationship. And then now, as we look at this morning, he talks about the employer-employee relationship, the three of the most dominant relationships in the human life, Paul talks about it here within this section. Now, the foundational point that Paul makes when it comes to successful relationships is all based upon this word, submission. Submission. Paul prefaces this relationship section with a command in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. If you were to look back there, the apostle Paul says to submit to one another in the fear of God. In fact, Ephesians 5.21 is the transition verse that the Apostle Paul uses as he goes from the commands given in chapters 4 and 5 into the relationship section found in the latter part of chapter 5 into the beginning part of chapter 6. That's the transition verse. Submit to one another. Now, before we go any further, it is important for us to be reminded of the context of this overall book. I've said this multiple times. Pastor Bryce has shared this as well. The, the book of Ephesians was written to the group of Christians living in Ephesus, not necessarily one particular church, but the group of Christians living in Ephesus, to discuss this doctrine of salvation. In fact, he focuses the first three chapters on defining what salvation is. This is what salvation does for us, chapters 1, 2, and 3. As he goes into chapters 4, 5, and 6, he then transitions to the practical side of it. He says, because of your salvation, this is how you ought to act and behave because you are a follower of Christ. 
Now, he talks about how we ought to walk in love. We ought to walk in wisdom in chapters 4 and chapters uh, 5 as well. But as we get into chapter 5, verse 17, the Apostle Paul uh, transitions and he says, Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. You may ask yourself, well, what is the will of the Lord within this context? In verse 18, he says, do not be drunk with wine, but what? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. So what he's talking about here is this, he's not necessarily focusing on drinking specifically per se. He's saying that just as alcohol influences us as far as being drunk and taking care of every little thing of our uh, intricate being, our emotions, our will, our intellect, it takes over everything. He says, instead of that, that's a command, don't be drunk, but rather be filled or be completely controlled by the Holy Spirit. After he delivers that command, he then gives three different uh, signs of being filled with the Holy Spirit. First off, he says that there's a sign of singing. Look at verse 19. He says, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Now, uh, Garth and Becky would be all about this and would agree 100%. When we come to church this morning, uh, or every Sunday morning for that matter, and we gather together to sing, we aren't singing just because that's what you do in church. We are singing because as spirit-filled Christians, that ought to be a sign of us being controlled by the spirit. We are standing here singing. I sit up front, I don't turn around, and I'm not looking back at who's singing and who's not. I don't, I don't know who's singing and who's not, so I'm not putting out anyone per se. But if you're standing there and you have no joy on your face and you're not singing and you're not participating at all, then that's probably a sign that there may be something going on in your heart that would be different than what the scriptures say here. Because a sign of being filled with the Holy Spirit is singing. Secondly, he says here that there is a sign of being filled with the Holy Spirit is giving thanks in all things. The good times and the bad times, you give thanks. Verse 20, he says, giving thanks always for the, uh, for the things to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the second sign. Here's the third sign. It is submitting to one another under Christ. And I can tell you right now that if you're going to submit, especially to a difficult boss, you have to be filled with the Holy Spirit in order to submit. Because our human nature doesn't want to submit. The very reason why mankind fell is because they rebelled against God. That is, in our heart, we do not want to be told what to do. We don't want to be told what to do. Which is why the Old Testament law was so effective in revealing just how sinful mankind was. There's a law there. Okay, that's the rules. I'm going to break it now because I don't want to be told what to do. And so the Apostle Paul says that a sign of being filled with the Holy Spirit is submitting to one another in the fear of God. What the Apostle Paul then does is he takes that phrase, submitting to one another, and he breaks that down to those three different relationships. You submit to one another in your marriage. You submit to one another in your parenting and in your child relationship. And you submit to one another in your workplace. And so submission to first God and then to that particular person that God is talking about is foundational when it comes to this command to obey your employer. And so when we realize that our Christianity is not about our rights, but service to the Lord, then we can overcome any difficult relationship by submitting to the needs of others. Submission is the only way that a relationship will work. You say, well, when it comes to marriage, the wife is supposed to submit to me. Okay, yes, that's what the Bible says. But as a husband, you were also supposed to submit to the needs of your wife by putting your needs second and your wife's needs first. That's how a beautiful marriage works. It goes with that in any relationship. See, what we must understand as Christians, everything that we do is for the glory and the honor 
of God. When we understand this, our motivation to do things that would not naturally come easy, like submitting to the needs of others, will be tolerable. Why? Because we are ultimately submitting to the needs of others for a greater purpose than just simple submission. It is for the cause of Christ. It's what we will examine here this morning. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. When we submit to one another in the fear of God, as Paul commands in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, we are entering the beginning stages of true wisdom. So what Paul says, God-honoring relationships based upon submission does more than just bring harmony in our life. It opens up for the very wisdom and power of God within our own lives. So this submission is so much bigger than what it simply is in submission. It is literally opening up opportunities for God to grow us and to give us wisdom and lead us in that wisdom. And so it's with this foundational principle being laid, we look at what the Apostle Paul says this morning when it comes to our workplace relationships. Let's read, with, uh, let's read together Ephesians chapter 6, beginning of verse 5. We're going to read down to verse 9. It says, bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart with good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. And you masters do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. Within these simple words, Paul instructs Christians how to function within the workplace. Now, every single person within this room, and I don't believe that we have anybody in here this morning that is, is at the point of retirement. We have people that are probably close. But every single person in this room is either an employer or an employee. We have some in here that own their own business and people work for them. And we have some people that work for other people. And so this obviously matches and touches the hearts of every single person in here. And the Apostle Paul talks about both scenarios. He says this is how an employee should respond to their boss. And he says this is how a boss should respond to their employee. And so with both of these scenarios in mind this morning, we're going to examine the Apostle Paul's words when it comes to God's instructions for healthy workplace relationships. The Apostle Paul begins with this employee-to-employer relationship. There are three different commands that the Apostle Paul gives when it comes to this relationship between the employee and the employer. The first two commands deal with the relationship itself, and the final command within that section deals with this motivation that we have in obeying this command. So first off, the Apostle Paul says that the employee ought to humbly obey with discernment. This begins in verse 5. He says, bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh. The phrase there, according to the flesh, simply means human beings. It's talking about the obedience to your human master, not to your spiritual or heavenly master. He's talking about that specific human relationship. That's all that that according to the flesh means, uh, that particular verse. Now, Paul commands the employees to obey their masters in all things unless just as, as it is the case in any relationship, that command directly contradicts the word of God. It doesn't matter if you agree with them. It doesn't matter if, they, if what they're doing is a completely boneheaded decision. If it does not violate the word of God and you have addressed them in a respectful way and they still command you to do so, then you will obey them. 
If it gets to a point where you say, I can no longer work underneath this person, then you obey them until you transition out. Okay, that is what the Apostle Paul is saying here. Now, you say, well, Pastor Brandon, you have no idea. No, the Apostle Paul, actually, the context is far greater of an implication than what we have here today. He's talking about bond servants and he's talking about masters. He's talking about the slavery that existed within that particular time period. If you were to go back through history in the Greco-Roman world, slavery was common. It wasn't the type of slavery necessarily that we think of in American culture between uh, those that existed before the Civil War and all those things. It was, it, was, it was a little bit different than that. You had good masters and you had really bad masters. You had uh, servants that had a lot of things going for them and you had servants that were treated very poorly. But that was part of the life. It was a far greater implication than the employer-employee relationship. The Apostle Paul says that you as the bondservant must obey your master in all things. It doesn't matter if they're an ungodly person or if they're a jerk and they beat you in that particular context. All right, read the book of Philemon. If you read that entire book of Philemon, what is the Apostle Paul doing? He is writing to a slave that ran away from his owner, and he tells that slave, you need to go back to your owner. And he writes this letter to the owner to say, accept Philemon back. Accept him back. You say, well, Pastor Brandon, we've talked about this before, but it's been a while. Pastor Brandon, why doesn't the Bible ever address slavery to begin with? Why doesn't the Bible say outright that slavery is wrong? Because that was not Jesus' purpose in the gospel. The Apostle Paul, for example, is writing to churches. The churches did not have the political clout to go out there and start overturning social reform and all of those kind of things. And so the Apostle Paul was not looking to try to stir up animosity within the church before the government. That wasn't his point in writing this. But secondarily, the Apostle Paul and Jesus, for that matter, was more interested in somebody being transformed by the power of the gospel because it's through the power of the gospel that slavery and everything else takes care of it. Itself. Uh, I'll give you an example, and many of you are familiar with this man's uh, name, and most of you, or if not all of you, are familiar with the song Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace was written by John Newton, and there is perhaps no better example of this transformation between slavery and salvation than this example of John Newton. John Newton grew up, and uh, he was working for a slave trading ship, and he uh, worked on ships that uh, traded slaves, and he received Christ, and after he received Christ, he did not immediately leave the slave trade business. He became a captain of a ship, and he actually treated the slaves differently because he thought that it was through his salvation that he could actually reform the whole process. But it wasn't until God continued to work in his heart that he realized this is completely and utterly wrong. And so he left ended up writing Amazing Grace and actually joined forces with William Wilberforce, who was probably one of the most famous abolitionists out there. And he actually wrote uh, this, 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 this writing called Thoughts Upon the African Slave to help William Wilberforce's campaign. And in his writing, Newton writes that slave trading was a business at which my heart now shudders. Here's a saved man who is reading the word of God, the Holy Spirit's working in his heart. He's not reading scriptures about slavery is absolutely wrong, although he is gaining principles through the word of God and the transformation of the Holy Spirit that brings him to the conclusion that it is wrong and his life is being transformed. That is why the apostle Paul and Jesus himself does not focus on slavery in and of itself. See, the point that the apostle Paul is making here is that, yeah, slavery is wrong. 
He does give principles about the abuse of, of slavery. He does give all of that. But he says, even though it's wrong, I'm not here to talk about that because you're always going to be in situations that are not ideal. I want to address your heart in those situations. When your boss mistreats you, humbly obey them no matter what, even if they are a jerk, because your greatest role is not to change your job, but to change the hearts, the, the boss, the, the heart of the boss. And the only way that you can do that is through your Christ-like, humble, obedient testimony. That's the biggest play for the Apostle Paul. So the first thing he says here is humbly obey your boss and all things unless it directly contradicts the word of God. Secondly, the apostle Paul says to honor the position. Honor the position. Now, look at what he adds in verse 5. He adds this phrase, with fear and trembling. Now, he's not talking about you being afraid of your boss. Like, I'm afraid to talk to this person. I'm scared of him. Okay? You're not being afraid of your boss. We aren't afraid of anyone for that matter because we know God's in control. But he is talking about respect. Even if that boss does not deserve your respect for the person that he is, the Apostle Paul says it doesn't matter. You respect the position. I really don't like 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18. I don't. It's probably my least favorite verses in all of Scripture. All right, this is written within this context just to remind all of us, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18, and I'll read it in just a second, uh, or it's on the screen, which is fine. It was written during the context in which the Jewish people were being persecuted by the, one of the worst rulers of all time, and that was Nero. Nero would take the Christians and he would kill them, torture them beyond our comprehension because of their faith in Christ. And look at what he says. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. And then he goes on and he talks about honor the king, love the brotherhood, respect all people. Now, if I was reading this and I was a Christian, it's definitely going to need to take the filling of the Holy Spirit for me to obey that verse. But that's what the Apostle Paul says here in Peter in that section. You humbly obey your boss with all fear and trembling. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 through 24 says, And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. That is the ultimate play. That is the ultimate thing that you are doing and submitting to your boss as you are serving the Lord. Now I understand, I got it. It's all fine and dandy to talk about it here in this safe environment because uh, other than maybe Mike, Justin's not here today, your boss isn't here in the same room with you. And so you feel like you can be excited and rejuvenated, but when you go to work tomorrow morning, I guarantee you this is going to be tested on you this week. How are you going to respond? You remember that, listen, I, my ultimate goal here is not to become president of the company, although that would be wonderful. My ultimate goal is to honor and glorify Christ and for the salvation of all those that I come in contact with. And this is how I ought to do it, then so be it. I'm going to do it not for the sake of my boss, but for the sake of the glory of God. So we humbly obey in all things. We, uh, we uh, obey and respect the position. And then thirdly, we do it out of a heart of sincerity for Christ. Look at verse 5. He says at the end of verse 5 and in verses 6 through 7, he says, In sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord and not unto men. 
the point that the Apostle makes here, the Apostle Paul within these verses, is that our obedience to our bosses and our motivation must not be for selfish gain, but again, for the glory of God. Paul says that in everything we do, our heart motivation must be in obedience to the Lord and not to man. You know the person. They act one way in front of the boss, and the boss isn't around, and then they leave and they act another way when the boss isn't there. You see this with churches. Not that I'm in anyone's boss at all here, but you see this across the churches across the board, right? When the pastor is not there, what happens? People, unfortunately, at times, act differently. It's just, it's just human nature. The Apostle Paul is saying here, listen, it should never be that way. You should act the same way in front of your boss as you do behind the boss's back. When the boss sends you away to do something or do, do a project, you maybe not work as hard because you're away from the boss. The Apostle Paul says, no, 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 it shouldn't be that way because you're not doing it for the boss. You're doing it for the Lord. And so he takes away any kind of notion that we may have to be able to slack when the boss isn't around or to do it for the sake of gaining promotion from our boss. We also have to recognize that, yes, where our boss may give us a promotion and an open opportunity, it's not ultimately the boss is doing that. It's the Lord opening up the door. I've had many conversations with, some, or to, with several of you in here that have specifically said, I have been praying about this work position and the Lord opened up the door. Now, did a human being offer you the job? Yes. But you know and recognize that it was ultimately for the Lord. You work not for them. Ultimately, you work for the Lord. And I'm going to keep saying that over and over again because the more we realize that, the easier it will become to, to obey and submit to a difficult person. And you, in fact, can have joy in your workplace. But here's a promise that the Apostle Paul adds in verse 8. He says, Knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or whether he is free. I love that. It does not matter what position you're in. If you follow these commands, you will be blessed by the Lord because the Lord doesn't look at your position. He looks at your heart. And it gives us encouragement and motivation to follow through. The Lord ensures believers that they will be rewarded in heaven based upon their faithful obedience to the commands of God here on earth. So Paul says, don't worry about whether or not your obedience to your boss equals a better pay or position. He says, your ultimate faithfulness will come in heaven. Your ultimate reward will come in heaven. Will there be opportunities here on earth? Absolutely. But they're temporal. They're not going to last forever. Your ultimate reward will come from the Lord. So when it comes to this employee-employer relationship, employees must humbly obey their employer in all things. Oscar, I'm going to give an example for, 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 that you've shared a few times, so I feel like I don't have to ask your permission because you've shared it publicly at other times in other settings. But Oscar works for a, uh, for a company that uh, he's on the road often, and the Lord has provided him a good position. And they know he's a Christian, and he has been mocked and ridiculed by his faith or because of his faith. And he said, he gives an example about one particular time and Oscar has chosen early in his life not to, to drink. That was part of his Christian testimony, I will not drink. And so there's been work functions in which he's been offered and he refused that. And he said one particular time he was sitting there eating uh, together and he refused alcohol, didn't make a big deal about it. He just said, I'll have a sweet tea or whatever. And he was mocked in front of all the other coworkers by one of his coworkers that said, you're nothing but a good Baptist boy, you little Christian. And made fun of him in front of everybody. And Oscar graciously responded back to him. But Oscar knew, although it hurt and he was embarrassed, 
Oscar knew that this man had a greater need than what Oscar's comfort was at that particular time. Fast forward a little bit of time, uh, he received a phone call from this same gentleman, and that gentleman informing him that he had now become a follower of Christ. Now, I'm not saying that Oscar's testimony in and of itself was what led him to the Lord, but I am telling you right now, that was part of it. That response that Oscar gave was part of it. We as Christians have to understand that we have a much bigger role in our society, especially when our workplace, when it comes to the obedience of our boss and the interaction with our coworkers. It is for the sake of the gospel. But here's the second thing, the second relationship, and the Apostle Paul flips that, and he looks at the employer to the employee relationship. Paul adds in verse 9, And you, masters, do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. Paul takes this motivation that he uses for the employee to employer relationship, and he reverses it to apply it to the employer-employee. And I got it. The employer has a different relationship with their employees than the employee does with their boss. The employer has to be the bad guy at times in order for the job to get done. And the Apostle Paul is saying that you should, that he's not telling you not to do that. You need to be that boss. But he is saying to love them and respect them. He is saying to respect them as a person, to respect their position that they are in. They don't have the pay grade. They don't have the skill. They don't have the knowledge. They don't have the, the ability to do what you are doing. That's why you're the boss. And for you to get frustrated and upset with them if they're not doing what you expect them to do when they're not capable or have the opportunity to do so would be unfair. The Apostle Paul says that you treat them in fairness. Why? For the sake of the gospel. And then he adds here that you treat them in fairness and grace and justice because just as there's no partiality with the Father in heaven, there ought to be no favoritism and partiality with you as the boss. Now, there have been countless and countless of books written on healthy corporate uh, life and uh, leadership books and all these other things with these ground-breaking uh, principles, right? I guarantee you, because I've read a lot of them, every single one of them is no different than what the Apostle Paul is saying here. You treat your employees with respect, and you as your employer... You need to set the, 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 the clear example of what needs to be accomplished and you need to treat everybody fairly based upon the position in which they are hired and treat them with love and respect because that's what the Apostle Paul ultimately God commands us to do. So as we close this morning, as we transition into our time of, of observing the Lord's table, may we be reminded of this one motivation and that is the cause of Christ. When it comes to dealing with a difficult boss, remember the cause of Christ. When it comes to the treatment of our employees, remember the cause of Christ. Everything that we do is for the honor and glory of God, but ultimately for the cause of Christ.